Hey yo, it's Blue, baby. Hey, you're now rocking with Blue Dope. On today's episode, I have Kaba Conte, founder of Red Bay Coffee. Now, you know if it was my coffee shop, it would have been Blue Bay, but it's all love. The Bay Area is one of my favorite cities. Next time I go out there, I'm definitely going to have to stop it to one of his shops. At the end of the day, it's you don't hear too many people saying, hey, we're going to open up a brick and mortar business right now, right? People are trying to go e-commerce or bust. He started with brick and mortar. The beautiful thing is in his journey, he has the e-commerce going. So Red Bay Coffee is available for all of us. If you're looking for something more artisanal in your morning journey, um, I can't wait to get into this episode. I learned a lot um, and you could put this into any business that you're starting up too. Ayo, it's Blue, baby, and it's another episode of Blue Dope. Today, I have none other than Kaba Conte, the founder of Red Bay Coffee. Now, it seems like everyone in the Bay has been trying to start up a new tech company for years, but my brother said, we're going to go classic, we're going coffee mm-hmm. beans, but we're going to do right. a unique spin on it. So, Kaba, yeah. welcome yeah. to Blue Dope. Thank you, Blue. Appreciate you having me on. There you go. I, I got to start out the gate. Are you originally from the Bay? Or did you yes. move to the Bay? Yes. Yeah. No, born and raised here. Yes. O- Oakland? Uh, San Francisco. Born and raised in San Francisco. Uh, I was, you know, budded in Oakland for the last, what, uh, 25 years. So first, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm 55. I'm OG. So, you know, my first, uh, but I grew up, uh, my first daughter was born in San Francisco. My second daughter was uh, born out here in the East Bay. Nice, nice. Before we even get mm-hmm. into things, I'm gonna ask: forty or too short? Ah, uh, forty. Ah, there you go. Easy. There you That's go. That's easy for me. <laughs> That's easy for me. So you know that that opens up a whole another line of questions that you know I'm not sure how <laughs> how, how much research you did, but uh-huh. you know so that that was kind of the golden era of hip hop, you know, in the in the yes. bay, and 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 I was I was a part of that, um, nice. you know, because before I got into coffee. I was a photographer. I was a professional photographer. So I used to do the album covers for all these cats. So Ooh. I did all forties. Yeah, I did all forties. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I did forty thousand. So that, that's why I'm, I'm invested. <laughs> nice, I'm invested nice. in forty. Yeah. Nice, nice. Now I'm gonna get to that. I'm gonna get to that. I want to yeah, understand. Yeah, yeah. I want to understand your upbringing. So what was it like for you growing up in San Fran in your era? Yeah. So paint the picture. You know, yeah, yeah. So, um, you know, coming up early, you know, 70s, you know, middle school, um, you know, very eclectic, you know, uh, multicultural city crowd, you know, um, um, grew up, you know, mostly with my moms, um, me and my two sisters. And, um, you know, went to a school called San Francisco Community School, you know, uh, pretty interesting place. You know, they had us out there, you know, we was going on camping trips and, there was a pool table in one of the classrooms and, you know, um, so it, it was a, it was an interesting time. Um, you know, had a lot of freedom, you know, just on the bikes running around all over the city, you know, getting into high school. Um, you know, then that, that, you know, always takes a turn there. Um, and then high school, I was like a high school jock. I was on the wrestling team and, um, you know, did my thing in high school. Um, and, um, so yeah, growing up in the city, you know, just uh, man, that's you know, like like late seventies, early eighties. Yeah, yeah, that was a great time. You know, that was that was. Pretty, I mean, was you know, was San Fran as beautiful back then as it is now? Oh, of course. 
Okay, yeah, <laughs> it, it ain't got no prettier. I mean, you know, we had the same hills, the same architecture. You know, <laughs> nice. uh, you know, the beautiful parks and uh, you know, nice, nice climate all year round. Um, you know, I grew up, you know, on the on the south side of the of the town where it was always foggy, so I couldn't wait. Really, once once I got to be an adult and you know went out on my own. You know, then I went out and moved at first to the to the sunny side of the city. Um, but, you know, really, I guess my childhood ended really when I became a parent, you know, at, at 19. You know, so I had, I had my first daughter when I was 19. So that's, you know, kind of childhood shift was over. Responsibilities. Was, oh, <laughs> yeah. That, that was a shift and responsibilities, mind state, state of mind. And um and 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 uh, and and really, I, I guess that's probably where the, when the hustle started at that point. Mm. So so for you it was the first, I guess, piece of business you went into. I mean, we're going to go jump into the photography. We're going to jump into coffee. Right. But where did you start just trying to earn? Um, well, my wife still doesn't believe this, but I've had so many jobs. You know, we 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 could spend this whole episode just talking about the various jobs I've had. You know, the good, bad, and the ugly, some some wild ass, you know, jobs. But I was, you know, I was a doorman. What's the craziest one you did? What's the craziest the, one? We want to jump right the, into it. Man, the, the craziest job I ever had. I worked for the San Mateo County Coroner's Office, and for the in the most part, we would go into people who would pass away and clean out their apartment. I, I didn't deal with the bodies. Well. Until this one day, until this one day when we had to go to the hospital and in the hospital, in the basement, there was a basement to the basement. And there was these boxes of jars of body parts and formaldehyde, and they could only keep it for so long. And they can't just like dispose of them. They have to bury them in a in a in a grave. So so. I was the last one hired, so we had to load these boxes up, take them to the graveyard, to the cemetery. Uh, there was a grave, and I was the last man hired, so I was the one in the grave, put stacking these boxes uh. up. Some of them were leaking with formaldehyde. That was the first time, and thank goodness, the last <laughs> time I ever smelled that. If you ain't never smelled formaldehyde, ooh, you don't you, you, you quit after something. that, right? <laughs> That's, you you like, would think you would you would think you would think, but. That was a one-time piece. That was that was about as wild as it got. Yeah. So so you mentioned the photography, and I I, I did some studying on you, and I, I did know you were a photographer. I'm a photographer myself, so definitely an affinity for that. So let's talk about the photography. How did you kind of switch into that, and what got you your start there? Well, uh, my mother was a photographer. Uh, her friends were photographers, you know, um, and so I was really kind of grew up around it, around photographers. So I was very comfortable around the media. My mom would photograph me and my sisters as models. Um, and uh, and she eventually built a dark room in our basement. And, you know, so in the evening, she said, you know, she she'd kind of set dinner up and then she'd spend the rest. She would like disappear. So she's she'd be in her dark room, you know, until the late hours. and. So eventually, when I got into college and I started doing photography, um, you know, I, I took over that dark room. That became my dark room. Um, so, I, yeah, I did a lot, lots and lots of work in that dark room. But so she gave me a camera when I was about 13 years old. I had a little Olympus, you know, um, and then um, and then in high school, 
you know, it was kind of just, it was like a toy. I'd kind of play with it a little bit here and there. But it wasn't until I got to college and I was, you know, getting more into, into the activism, really. And then in some of these street protests and seeing how they were reported in the news. And, um, and I was like, it was just like total opposite from the experience and what I saw. So I started to bring my camera to document, you know, the things that I saw. I'm, I'm talking about, you know, protests like the Rodney King protests, the, you know, anti-Iraq war, the first one. And, um, you know, some of these you know, some of these sort of street actions. Um, it's like early 90s, and, you know, like 91, 92. Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. So that that's kind of when I really got picked up that camera. I wasn't really, it wasn't a hustle at that point, you know, uh, but but really when I got my chops, uh, then I started, um, then I started, you know, making myself available to, you know, to some of the cats, you know, who were starting, you know, to, to make music. Um, like, um, really my very first photo shoot was this cat named Ray. Um, and he had a group called the coup. And so I did some music for them, you know, so his, his rap name is boots. So you might know him as boots Riley, who's now a filmmaker. He did, uh, sorry to bother you. Hmm. Which, so so that was, that was like, well, when I mean, your so first shoot, yeah, that was my first shoot back in like '92. That was '92. Wow, you know, and then uh, you know he still lives in Oakland, so we we still you know friends, and um, and he actually recruited me to participate as a little cameo in that movie. <laughs> so nice, I don't know nice. if you've seen the movie, oh, but so you, you have some it. acting credits too. Uh, I, yeah, I guess I do. I guess I do. You got to add uh, that to the bio. Well, you know, I I, I lucked out because I don't think I could act a lick, but you know, luckily. They just photographed me and I showed up. If you've seen the movie, there's a reoccurring character who is might be his father figure. And um, and, you know, and he carries his picture in different jobs and places he goes and he puts it up on the wall. So and, you know, and the, and, and, and the photograph depicts the same character in different facial expressions and, you know, approval and disapproval and whatnot. And so that that was me. So really, I just had to do a photo shoot so i was in the movie as a in in, in a in the form of a photo shoot yeah there you go there you but go but i'll take the credit i'll around. take the credit yeah, <laughs> yeah give so, me my so I, gotta get, I, I gotta get to mr earl stevens so how did yeah. you connect with 40 i'm anna a transgender woman and i'm cam your dad and this is the transgender join anna as she chronicles her transition and cam as he learns how to be a supportive parent this podcast is about embracing differences and finding common ground it's a roller coaster of emotions laughter and genuine connection tune in to new episodes of the transgender bi-weekly subscribe and listen to the transgender on your favorite podcast platform love you all except the bigots Well, um, so, so then, at, so that was, I did that piece for Boots, and then there was another cat, you know, uh, Anafa, who was African identity. I did his, I did a photo shoot for him, and then he was working with these graphic artists uh, named Funky Fat Graphics, and so this is like, yeah, ninety two, ninety three, and you know they like they like my 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 style. And they'd ask me to, you know, um, 
if I could shoot some of these these other acts. And so this was really, you know, when when the whole Bay Area hip hop scene just really started to flourish. And and the thing about it, it was it was, it was you know the thing about this music scene was very independent. There were no major labels in the Bay Area. There just were no major labels here. So we just you know we just did it ourselves, which is kind of that whole Oakland vibe anyway. Just kind of do it yourself. Um, so then you know I, I was then I just kind of got in tight with that whole crew, and then I just became th that dude. And um, and I was it 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 got to be I was doing every week, you know, one or two, three photo shoots, then started shooting for some magazines, The Source, Vibe, uh, Rolling Stone, you know, um, Rat Pages magazine, 48 So you magazine, were the guy in the Bay. Murder Dog magazine, yes. I was, yes, I was doing, yeah, I was, I was, I was and then, you know, E-40, Master P, Richie Rich, um, you know, and, you know and, and tons of cats, and, you know, inevitably, like, the best photo shoots were the albums that never really popped off, right? But um, but what I really enjoyed about it was I brought this kind of photo documentary style because I was studying photojournalism at SF State. So so and my mom was a portrait photographer. So you know what I mean. So I had por the the portrait you know angle. I knew how to light somebody up, find the angle, right? But I also knew how to capture a moment and context and find them in the environment and, you know, um, and, and, and framing and composition. So I had those kind of two were my, my strong suits. And um, so I really enjoyed going out to these different hoods uh, around the Bay Area from East Palo Alto to Marin City to, you know, East Oakland, Vallejo, you know, all, you know, Sacramento, this whole area. Um, and, um, and, you know, we were shooting film too. I was shooting slides, which is kind of a shame because, you know, most of those things, you know, the graphic artist gave it to the artist. And, you know, so I, I don't even have a lot of that work or at least some of the best piece of it. Um, but uh, but but I still have some documentation. I got some of the finished posters and, and whatnot. How did you transition that? To coffee <laughs> it seems it seems like yeah. it's like a big change well, there, was, there was another transfer there was another transition uh -huh. you know there was a couple of transitions and, and really for me it didn't feel as much like a transition as just these layers you know it just felt like just me as a as a human being i just kept getting these layers and i was always just very curious uh and and wanting to try new things and you know explore different interests um so so doing the music photography, but at the same time I was doing that, actually I was using some of that money to fund my trips for traveling because I really had a passion for traveling and I had a passion for Africa. So, you know, I was, I was, in, a, I was in a political organization, um, the uh, All African People's Revolutionary Party, and where, you know, Africa is primary. And uh, so anyway, I went to Senegal, I went to East, you know, I went to South Africa, I was in South Africa in 1994, photographed the election of Nelson Mandela. Um, you know, then came back and I was in DC in, in, in 95 for the Million Man March, photographed that um, back in, you know, in Kenya and Tanzania. And so, so, you know, those, I wasn't really making so much money on those, but I was, I was making some beautiful photography 
and um and like like the 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 money i was earning in in the music that was kind of funding those trips so so then um then kind of by the late 90s you know the scene was kind of you know sort of plateaued i'll say and um and then i kind of discovered this technique where i could print my photographs on wood now that was that was a breakthrough right because my father was a carpenter you know so uh he passed when i was when i was young you know i was 14 but uh but as a as a young child you know i'd, I'd be on the job site with him he let me hold a tape measure or something on my belt and you know but um but i'd always you know aspired to be like my dad and you know want to build build things with wood and with my hands and you know so so really then when the moment you know i was experimenting and i was able to print this photograph on wood. I'm not just talking about like uh, 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 gluing a piece of a print to the wood, but like just the image, the black. So a black and white photograph is really just black. And the white is just the color of the paper. So, so imagine the black, the shadows uh, overlaid on a piece of wood with the grains. And so you see that grain and stuff. So it was, black in the color of the wood, black and brown, black and tan. Um, and then you see that wood grain and it looked like almost human skin. So it, it even looked, it was more even compelling than uh, or lifelike in some ways than a black and white photograph. So this blew my mind and I instantly saw a through line uh, for years to come and that came true um, of the possibilities of print of, of photographs on wood and what you could do with that. So next thing you know, I'm printing on drawers, on ironing boards. I'm taking the drawer and breaking it up and, you know, nailing it back together and burning it and printing, you know, and, and just layering it with just stitching on copper and just, you know, these, these sort of multi-layered mixed media, you know, images. And, um, and it was just kind of a new look. People re responded to it. I called it uh, photo montage on wood. And, um, you know, and then I could scale these things up really huge, uh, you know, 12 foot. Really for you, you were kind of taking the best of what your mom did and your father and you, you got to put that together. And, and it was, it was, yeah, it was like, I, it was like my destiny. And, you know, and, um, and I started swinging them. You know, and um, and I did it from a very entrepreneurial entrepreneurial space, right? So I, I did not necessarily follow the some of the traditional artist gallery kind of processes. I had not studied fine art, you know. Um, so I always felt a, like a little bit of an outsider uh, in that world. But you know, I did my thing, and people responding, and I was, you know, I was curating my own exhibition but i was also in some galleries I, I had some couple museum shows and you know traveled and did some things abroad um and i i kind of ran that published a bunch of you know books uh, about it and uh so that was yeah that was the that was yeah you know, I, I was doing running that for a decade at least i mean when you when you speak about fine arts did you ever feel like excluded like it wasn't an inclusive environment in the bay area or did you you know, did you feel like it, it was welcoming you as a black man or 
you just had to just make your own route. How did you feel with that? Well, you know, I mean, the art world is there's different layers and tiers, right? There's sort of the community galleries, these nonprofit galleries, and, um, you know, you can get in there. But in terms of uh, really um, excelling in a uh, a career where you're, you know, featured in art in America or juxtapose or, you know, some of these high level art or, you know, or some of the big commercial galleries. Um, yeah, never did quite connect to there. Right. So it's not like they never had black artists, you know, um, but, 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 you know, there's barriers for sure. That then this was before this, uh, sort of renaissance of, of black arts and like, you know, like, right. You know, I think the last 10 years, 10, 15 years has been, a beautiful renaissance of of some you know brilliant brilliant uh visual artists conceptual artists uh installation artists and it's just got so expansive and um you know the uh the the Carrie Mae Weems and the Kara Walkers and the um um you know and there's so many of these Hank Will Hank Willis Thomas um you know so many of these artists that uh I, I uh Stanford, Stanford Biggers um, you know, so these are the people kind of in this community, you know, went to school here or, you know, came out of here, exhibited. Um, so excluded. Yeah. You know I mean, I, I mean, I just didn't break through, you know, uh, and maybe it was, you know, um, my uh, my strategy, you know, um, there, there's strategies. Right. If, if you decide to do it on your own. Then you go ahead and do it on your own, you know, but if, true, if you true. early, I think that's o- what open gal- mentality. Yeah, that's right. You know, for better or for worse. <laughs> and, uh, you know, so, so galleries can sort of help your career and get you, you know, where you're not just kind of selling something out the, out the house to, so, to a random person that happened to pay the price. You know, so there, there's, a, there's a way to go about it. Uh, you know, I had heard that you kind of wanted to make your own exhibits. Right. So that's where the cafes came in. Is, was yes, that the natural that progression? That, that was the that was the that was the progression. That was the that was the the carryover. So the carryover was, all right. I'm I'm doing my own exhibitions anyway. I'm gonna get a space. I'm gonna curate it. I'm gonna call it X Y Z Gallery, whatever, um, and invite you know, work up a community list, bring people out, you know, have a band, have a DJ, bring some food, you know, uh, sell some artwork curated with some other artists. Um, and so that was sort of rinse and repeat. And we would do that and in, in building these, these happenings. So um, then an opportunity came up, you know, North uh, Berkeley, you know, a, sort of a wealthy part of the Bay Area. This little diner was going out of business and they offered for us to take it over. Me, one of my artists, colleagues and my wife, uh, took over the spot and opened Gorilla Cafe. And what the idea was, was uh, my, my interest was like, all right, we'll sell some coffee and, um, and we'll, and, but this is going to be a gallery, right? This is, this is where I was going to, so that was, that really, I, I got into coffee to boost my artist career and, you know, and coffee put me in the headlock and I'm still in that headlock. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, just to be clear, it wasn't like you were failing at photography at the time and you were looking for a new career. It was just, I'm going to do what I can out here. Yeah. Um, you know, I was, like I said, I'm, I'm, um, I don't know if I have a short attention span as much as is, I've just got an expansive, you know, attention span. 
And um, so that just sounded, so really I got into coffee to have my own gallery, right? And the, the photography was the gallery. So, so then I started learning about coffee, but that wasn't, you know, the, the interest wasn't like, oh, I'm gonna start this coffee career. It was like, uh, oh, th this is a place where people can come. It's not as formal as a gallery, right? Because you do a gallery, you know, you'll, you'll get a crowd on the opening night, opening day, and then people will trickle in through the month. If you're in a gallery gallery, you know, then they'll, they'll trickle in. They, maybe they got some collectors. They're taking 50%, you know, on the cut, which I, that always just has never sit right sit well with me. Yeah, they, they, I mean, I know they got they got bills to pay too, but um, so anyway, so 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 that's when you know, so really, I got into the coffee to, 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 to for the gallery seed piece, but it was fascinating because now all of a sudden we're sourcing coffee from Africa, from the Caribbean, from you know Central America, places that I had been, so I had kind of you know some connection with with the roots of this coffee, learning about. Coffee culture started in Ethiopia. Coffee started in Ethiopia and mm. exported around the world. You're right. We think about. I didn't know that. Yeah. We think about, you know, Colombia, right? Uh, as yeah, an origin. Exactly. We think about, you know, Brazilian coffee. That coffee there is based, is, 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 it has the DNA of Ethiopian coffee and it's been transplanted there as a cash crop. Um, and and because coffee did not grow naturally there. That's why when you go to these places, they don't very often they don't even drink coffee. Right. <laughs> they'll drink tea. They'll drink some Nescafe or something, but they don't even drink the coffee that they grow. It's just a cash yeah. crop for them, you know, yeah. uh, and, and they're, they're doing a beautiful job at it. I'm, I'm not mad. Um, and, you know, now it's around the world. So, you know, that's kind of why I, I came up with that phrase. Uh, coffee is Africa's gift to the world. Mm hmm. Uh, people just because I even know that people, well, I'm, they, that's why I got it on, on t-shirts, on posters, yes. I wrote it on the wall. You know, I got Africa <laughs> right there. You, you they, they're going to know it. They're going to know it yes. if they're around me. So at what point did you decide you needed to make your own, you know, actual brand of coffee versus um, just being all right. a cafe owner? Yeah. Good question. So I had the first cafe and then, you know, uh, that was a pretty small business and those three of us trying to divide that, you know, but, so it wasn't very lucrative, but we created such a vibe in there, right? Beautiful artwork, always had art exhibitions. You know, it was it was not as it was not the sort of gallery for myself that I had imagined, but you know, but we did shows for all of our artist friends, local and international. Um, we just had, you know, um, you know, beautiful food, you know, grilled sandwiches, waffles, polenta with a poached eggs and and specialty coffee. And um, so we created a vibe there. It was 20 seats or something. So people would be standing to get in and, you know, we had no Wi-Fi, you know, so it was just kind of that vibe. So even though we didn't make a lot of money, we really set the tone and established ourselves as, as operators. And so that opened up another opportunity, you know, in San Francisco, opened up a shop there uh, more on my own. And then, um, in both of those locations, work with the top coffee roasters that I could find. And, um, and then what that did was really, that set the bar very high, right? By the time I was, you know, I wasn't thinking necessarily, okay, I got to replace them with myself at some point. 
But I did the right thing by getting the best you could find. Of course, you always want to do that. Um, but eventually I was like, you know what? It's coffee and it's coming from Africa and I'm buying it from these very nice, but you know, white hipsters. And they're selling me coffee from Africa for a pre for a premium price. Oh, and, man. Uh, like, I got to cut like, out the middleman. Yeah. I got to cut out the middleman. That's what <laughs> it came down to. I got to cut out. The, and I did that. You know, I was doing that over and over. I did that with the hot sauce. We were buying some hot sauce. So I started making the hot sauce cut out the middle but but the biggest cut out the middleman was the was the coffee piece and and i just had to learn that and i was like all right how hard could it be it's, it's one ingredient um it was hard but you know um but i, I so I, I just set out to to teach myself on how to do that and, and did it let's go into years later in red bay it's starting to be successful right you open up more locations. How many brick and mortar locations do you actually have now of your brand? We have uh, five uh, open today and we've got uh, two under, three under construction and, uh, and and we're negotiating a couple other leases, so. What's, what cities? Um, the uh, Oakland, uh, San Francisco and Los Angeles. Yeah, so the Los Angeles ones will open later this year. Nice, nice. Congratulations on that. Thank you. Now, I mean, I'm sure your supply chain looks a lot different now. What's that process like even just picking where you're going to source? That's that's beautiful, really. Um, And and, um, so when you start out, Right. When you're starting out and, and you're just kind of getting started, you you know, you can't really buy enough volume to to make any kind of moves like that. Right. And when you're making those moves, you got to really be moving some su- substantial uh, weight. Um, so you're just buying from the local importers uh, at a premium, but it's still way cheaper than roasted coffee, of course. Um, so then but, you know, as we started to kind of build our weight up and, you know, and, and and then we're showing up in the press. They kind of find you very often, right? Because because they're the green growers, so they're looking for roasters, right? Because that's their customers. Um, but you know, um, but you know, the, the, a lot of times these relationships come to you in all sorts of different ways: introductions by a third party. They may come and unlock on your door. You know, I'll travel to Ethiopia, and you know. Someone is telling me about, you know, a, a really good farm and we'll go find them and build a relationship. Uh, somebody will forward me. Someone forwarded me an article. Probably 2015, 16 of uh, the story about Jackie Robinson's son, David Robinson. It was in the New York Times. And uh, and I was reading this and he had moved to Tanzania, East Africa. 33, well, now probably 36 years ago. And he was just kind of quietly just growing coffee. Now, it's very few uh, African-American coffee roasters, but there is very, very, very few African-American coffee growers. So I was like, I was like, that was incredible. So I, I did some research. I found the email, reached out. He hit me back. He was heading to New York. Uh, where his mom lives. She's still alive. He goes visit her every year. I said, hey, I'll meet you there. So I flew to New York, 
Met him, uh, stayed in Brooklyn. We met there. He um, had some samples. Yeah, I, I see you. I see you. Flat oh, 42. I didn't even see 42. that. Oh. This, this, is a, this is a play yeah. on Jackie Robinson. Yeah. Michelle, my I, boy, Dan's. I, I saw the top Flatbush, but I, I didn't <laughs> yeah. see the 42 until now. Right on. I there see you go. it loud and clear. Beautiful. No, that's great. Uh, so we met. The coffee was delicious. He's doing some really positive work out there with the co-op that he did. And, uh, you know, we just connected solid. You know, he was just he's been a mentor and just an elder uh statesman you know um and uh and he's been our largest trading partner ever since wow. then. wow ever since wow. then Still. that's amazing yeah yeah so, that's, uh, who, that's... who would have ever known that jackie robinson's son went into that line right yeah right well you don't know that story well well <laughs> I, I mean some people may know but most people yeah, don't yeah. know that jackie robinson himself when he left baseball became an executive at a coffee company wow. Uh, wow. Chuck Full of Nuts is a company called Chuck Full of Nuts. Yeah, yeah, You'll see them cans around. So, yes. so he was Jackie Robinson worked there. He was involved. Wow. In wow. Yeah. There yeah. you go. There you go. So what you doing is not too far off. <laughs> uh, it, that's, that, that's what I'm saying. It's just layers, right? It was just <laughs> yes, layers. Yes. Like, you know, because I love to cook. I love to, you know, so for instance, right? When you think about these artist receptions, right? We're, we're mm-hmm. bringing some food. We're bringing music. We're da, da, da. When we opened up Gorilla Cafe, we just did that like every day. Yeah, right? you curating um, experiences. Yeah, and 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 opening a coffee roasting company. I mean, we do so much more than roast coffee, but you know, we we you know we we definitely are creating experiences there. Um, just one little you know glimpse, and you know we can kind of move back and forth in the conversation. But so when we finally got to the point where we opened this factory. Right, our roastery, six thousand square feet. Um, you know, we were using a part of it for, for to roast coffee and a bag coffee, but we had a lot of extra room, so we just kind of opened it up to the community with tables, and it was it was like a cafe, so people could just come and hang, and and then pretty soon, uh, my firstborn daughter, uh, you know, who's a grown woman, and she's you know an event planner, she's uh, organizes weddings, and she's a bartender, da da da, she's a baller in her own right uh, in so many respects. But so she, Jessica, so Jessica started doing the events. At, so she threw a block party that was just off the hook. Everything, then everyone else wanted to throw a party. So we started doing events. We, we built that up to like 200 events a year. Um, and it kind of culminated in Jadena when he did his last tour, 85 to Africa. He did a little, you know, sneak party announced it a day ahead of time there was literally a line around the block we had probably 400 people inside the spot that was permitted <laughs> occupancy for 23 wow. you know and and he just threw this just wild fan- oh it was super packed in this is pre-covid this is a yeah, yeah, few yeah. months this is a few months before covid broke um wow. you know so so that just got i mean just like and and these are people who had no interest in coffee did not have any idea about red bay coffee as a brand you know so we would always use that opportunity to introduce ourselves and that's in in a big way how we built the brand verdicts out beards are cool in your face but not below the waist today's episode is brought to you by manscaped Check them out 20% off right now when you use the code blue dope on manscaped.com. Get you the new lawnmower 4.0. It's waterproof, 
join the 4 million plus men that are using it. Ladies, you can get it as a gift, right? It doesn't need to just be something the fellas go get ourselves. Self-care is taking a whole new level for men. So get Manscaped, get right, get tight. Comes with a whole set of stuff. Loving the whole kit that it comes with. Check it out. Blue Dope. Now, now I know definitely in the beginning, it sounds like you, you use a lot of your own probably cash from other ventures that you were in. At this point to scale, did you ever have to go out and get VC backing, especially being in the Bay Area with all those VCs out there? Um, I mean, we built up to that, but uh, no, we started, you know, um, so, you know, like I said, the when I wanted to start roasting coffee and, and started doing that part, I was like, all right, I need a place just to, to just learn this craft. And, you know. So nowadays, if you want to roast coffee and just get it and dabble in it, in most big cities, New York, L.A., Oakland, San Francisco, they got these places called co-roasting. You know, and they'll set up a warehouse with two or three roasters. and You can go and just pay for time in on this equipment and they got instructions. That wasn't around when I got started. Um, and you couldn't just go to another company and, you know, Hey, I want to learn what you, without having a job there and I'm not trying to work for nobody. Um, yeah. you know, since I was, you know, burying bottom body parts in the <laughs> cemetery, <laughs> you know, so, so, uh, so I built a little, you know, we had a little garden room, you know, a little kind of size of a one car garage facing our garden. Um, and, uh, so I fixed that place up and, and put a little roaster countertop grinder water boiler you know counter hooked it up little sink and, da, da, da. and that was i called that the coffee dojo uh but even to build that out you know i needed some that was the first time i raised some money and i was just some friends and family i raised uh twenty thousand in in 10 in cash and 10 in credit card space right so i spent 10 cooking up the space hit my, my little coffee lab and then um, in the in the in the credit card space, I would use to buy beans and just roast and train. I'm watching YouTube videos. There's this Ethiopian sister had a coffee shop in Oakland, and I walk into there, and she got a little hot plate and a wok. She's mixing roasting coffee on the spot, and so I'm kind of picking up little cues, you know, from here and there. And, and then eventually, I went and took some more formal training. Um, but yeah, you know, so that was that was how we got the dojo started, uh, and that was the first money raised. Then after that, we probably did a Kickstarter, right? When we wanted to open the first um, the first little coffee shop, and that was um, so we raised so in, in Kickstarter at that time, fifty thousand was the most anybody had ever raised in the coffee category, but we needed like a hundred to 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 open a shop and this was like a shipping container that i wanted to convert into a coffee shop with the size with like kind of roll up you know like kick up you know so, like so you wing, were ahead like with the whole container game because now they turn those in the houses oh yeah 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 i was early on that and 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 you know i wanted the size to lift up like them iconic cranes in, in oakland that that even the star wars you know characters were built off of modeled behind and um so long story short we we uh, had a successful campaign and raised eighty eight thousand uh, dollars there broke all the records and you know and then from there we did some community bank debt we did some you know some um 
not quite venture, but we did some convertible notes. We did some angel. And then eventually we did a, we did a, a, a VC round and then we did a second VC round. And so currently as we speak, we're, we're raising a, a third, uh, our, our series B round uh, of, of, of venture capital. So, but, uh, but yeah, that was a, and still is a learning curve. You know, each, each, each round is the expectations are different. The demands, the demands are different. Um, you know, uh, what's required of us, you know, uh, is, 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 is changed. And so, um, yeah, the due diligence processes. Whew. Yeah, there's a lot. <laughs> now, now, I've been to the Bay once and I can say I, I loved every part of it that I saw. Um, and one thing, you know, I've heard it a lot before I went, but they say Oakland is actually a lot like Brooklyn, even just the geography of it and where it's placed versus San Fran. But like Brooklyn, I did notice a lot of gentrification. So I was curious to see how that actually impacted your business. Um, well, you know, so really coming into this, you know, with a with an activist background and just being, you know, an active member in our community, at that time, you know, gentrification was one of the biggest issues. You know, this is before... COVID before this, this most recent uprising of white supremacy um, and, and everything else. But uh, so, and, and very often coffee shops and coffee culture have, have often been kind of the, the spearhead of gentrification, right? Mm-hmm. First the coffee mm-hmm. shop, then the hipsters, yes. and then the, and then the rents go up and we go out <laughs> and, yep. you know, so, so, even getting into being a, 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 a opening shops in Oakland and, and opening the coffee company, I had to ask myself, well, what, what role are we going to play in that? Is that we're just going to be another spearhead for, for this movement? Uh, and so, you know, so obviously that's not what we wanted to do. So what we wanted to do was the opposite of that and um, is, is create opportunities uh, for people to make a living wage so they could stay in their community. This was happening, you know, whether I like it or not, whether I did anything or not, but any actions that I took, I just wanted to make sure we were pushing it in the right direction. So, um, yeah, so this is, you know, when we got started in 2014, federal minimum wage was like seven, $7. The local minimum wage was eight, eight fifty. Um, you know, we, so we were paying, folks, $15 an hour. Um, you know, today we give uh, everybody uh, stock options in, in the company from the part-time baristas on, on up, everybody, people packing the beans. Um, so you're publicly traded? Uh, no, 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 we're not publicly traded. No. Stock, just okay, stock okay. options in, okay, got stock it. In, in, in the company stock. Got it. Got it. Nice. Yeah, nice. Yeah. Not yet. Not yet. But, you know, <laughs> thank, thank you for that. Put that out in the universe. We'll get, <laughs> Put it in the air. We, we might get there. Yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, definitely one of the things that you focus on is just being gourmet coffee. I mean, so what is really the difference between the traditionals versus the gourmets? Yeah. Well, um, I would say, you know, the, 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 the first part is how, where that coffee is being grown, how it's being processed. And I'll, I'll go back and fill in where it's being grown, how it's being processed, how it's being roasted. You know, and, and in some ways, how it's even being brewed and served. So 
where's being grown is it in the so the most gourmet coffee comes from the highest of altitudes right the the higher it is the more uh intense more dense the the bean is uh the more flavor it has the higher just quality it is the the better tasting um the the very lowlands you know uh coffees are they grow fast they have a lot of caffeine it's a different sort of uh type of plant called robusta coffee um it just doesn't have the same kind of flavor uh but it's it you can grow get more on the plant it's a lot more productive uh but it's but it's cheaper so you know so what you know so you know i mean really if we even ask why gourmet coffee like why yeah i just i just wanted to participate in in the nice I, I, because there's a lot of exploitation right you know if you if you're trying to have a race to the bottom price and be the cheapest coffee you know there's no way you know one you'll be exploiting the earth you'll be exploiting the people and you're going to make a, a a crappy product um and and you'll be competing with with companies that are doing it on scale that you could never touch anyway so you know um and that's not that's not a story that i would even want to tell so um so that's why gourmet coffee right i wanted to get in on the good stuff and um and 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 tell beautiful stories and and we could sell it for a higher price that means we could have a better impact on the farmers on our employees on our community um so talked about where it's grown and then how it's processed right process is coffee grows in as a fruit it's called a cherry and 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 the coffee bean is the pit of that cherry and it's a red ripe you know and and you could eat the fruit uh delicate skin it's a mildly sweet fruit uh more oblong in shape um about the size of a cranberry maybe and um anyway so so there's there's um i won't get too technical but there's just different methods to how you get the fruit the seed out of the fruit and how you dry it and, and process it so so then we get we get and that's happens at origin origin is everywhere and you know all over more like the the equator um africa you know um high altitudes central america south america southeast asia um new zealand but coffee does not grow in europe it does not grow in america uh they got some experiments in in california but there's no real production here you know um of course puerto rico and hawaii but mainland that doesn't happen so we get the coffee here and then the next piece is you know how you roast it right we don't have so so we're roasting in 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 relatively small batches of 150 pounds you know uh at a time uh now right that's and that's now you know as as big as as, as we are or at least at our scale and um and you roast you know you just roast it to not cover up a uh a a defective product right because if you grow if you if you're getting this cheap coffee and it's not going to be that good and it's coming from here coming and you want it to be consistent then you kind of just roast it really dark and that kind of disguises you know some of those those defects what we call them so you know so for us we're we got this beautiful 
you know, expensive coffee that's been processed with love and a lot of hands have touched this coffee. And we want to highlight all the very subtle, nuanced flavors and scents and notes that that coffee has to offer. So we we roast it uh, just to its sweet spot, right? We want to have enough in, in, in the roast to, to give it some like little toasty, nutty, chocolatey notes. But still, if it's got some if it's got some floral notes or some fruity notes, we want to kind of keep keep those and don't roast that those delicate things out also. So it's a real fine line. It, it almost sounds like wines, right? We're trying to get to that perfect mm-hmm. taste and all those different hints. Uh, it really is. And the wine industry was early on to that, right? So, you know, so how we think about coffee 20 years ago is how wine was maybe 100 or 200 years ago. Right. So, you know, so the whole level of, 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 of upscale wine is it wasn't like that from the beginning. Right. So so they they developed the palate. Um, but, yeah, so we have so in wine, they have the sommelier. Right. That's the expert wine taster that could just you just go off and, and analyze the most subtle notes uh, in coffee. We call those the Q graders. And it's you know, it, it's a certification that you, you know, spend six days of, of testing and rigorous blindfold and this and that and, and triangulation tasting and, and, and experiments um, and, and to pass that. And this is something that was developed in order for the global coffee industry to get on the same page on how to describe, how to talk about, how to communicate these flavors, whether you're, you're at a farm and Guatemala, Ethiopia, at a roastery in Japan, at a trading post in in Germany, or at a coffee shop in San Francisco. Um, I mean, it sounds it sounds yeah. like there's going to be a lot of growth and opportunity in the industry from what you're saying. Well, yeah, and that's a good point, right? So a lot of times, you know, I mean, so I'm a big uh, advocate for people joining this industry. Get into this, you know, I'm trying to get black people into coffee. You know, this is our shit. Right. Yeah, Coffee comes yeah. from Africa. This is ours. It's your, <laughs> it's your culture. It's your culture. It's your heritage. Right. It's your inheritance, <laughs> yes, if you will. Yes. Claim it. Right. Um, and it's and it's more than just owning a coffee shop or being a barista. Right. You could be quality control. You could be sourcing. You could be traveling to make sure they, you know, they treating people right. Or, you know, you could be uh, training, you could be developing the software, you could be repairing the equipment, the espresso machines, the roasters. Uh, I mean, there's just so many, uh, it's a $50 billion industry in the U S alone every year, 50 billion. Wow. Wow. No, no. I mean, with that said, like when it comes to your own scale, right. Do you ever have a goal of making this a franchise potentially where I can own my own red bacon? Uh Well, I've, we've definitely fantasized about that, right? Because you know, when you when when we want to we want to grow and scale the business, and you want to scale as as fast as you can that is still sustainable growth, right? That you don't burn yourself out and crash and burn, and and sometimes you say, oh, actually, if we started just franchising, then that's a way to accelerate the the scaling, but. Um, to franchise, you know, is uh, easier said than done. There are a ton of regulations to protect the franchise 
franchisee, franchisor, the person who buys the franchise, there's a lot of legal protections to protect because, you know, there's a lot of scam franchises, right? So, um, and, you know, and we haven't, so you would need to do like 10 of these things over and over and over where you could just have a Bible on how to do it. And, you know, and we just haven't been creating cookie cutter locations. Like, you know, like we got, we got five locations now, a couple in the pipeline, but that doesn't count the, you know, five or six places that I've either built and moved on from, you know? Um, so in a, in a, you know, but the shipping container, I think that would be something that uh, I would like to franchise, you know, when, when that, when that day comes, but, um, but then you gotta, you know, you gotta kind of, you know, monitor and control the quality and now your brand is out there and other people are handling it and, you know, and yeah, oh, man, it, it's, you, you it, don't want to lose that authenticity. You're curated the same way you curated events. You've curated the coffee. We have. And, um, and, and I would be excited. I get, you know, the thing that, that really inspires me for the franchise piece is one, um, you know, we could be getting people, our people into coffee. And we could be getting our people into a business because it's not, it's not easy. That doesn't come natural for everybody to create a brand and a, and a menu and a look and a, you know, not everybody necessarily has those, that expertise on their team. So we could, we could bring that. Um, and um, so, so that, that part is exciting to me. And, uh, and I think there's a lot of ways that, that we could, we could develop something really inspiring and interesting. Um but uh, but yeah, we that's just down the road. We're, we're just not there yet. Well, I do have to congratulate congratulate you on some of the big box store moves that you've made, right? So how has it been dealing with some of these big box stores that you've actually moved product to? Mm-hmm. Um, it is uh, it's a it's a learning process, and um, you know I would say that you know some are different than others. Some are easy, like Trader Joe's. So Trader Joe's is, is one. So we, so we got uh, in Northern California, it's about 66 Trader Joe's. And, um, and you know, they, they definitely had some price pressure on us. And we could not offer the coffee that we are, like our signature line, you know, um, that goes for, you know, 15, 16, up to $20 a, a bag. Um, you know, they wanted to sell it for $10. I just, we just, ah, that's just, just, I can't do it. Right. It would one, it would piss off all my other relationships and everybody just went by it. It would just be disaster. Um, You know, so what we did was we created a, um, a unique sort of uh, value engineered product that is special just, just for Trader Joe's and other opportunities like Trader Joe's. So we call it it beautiful coffee to the people. It's a different kind of packaging. It's still branded Red Bay, but it looks separate. It's a distinct thing. And now we could use coffees that are say, um, so like green coffee, like when it comes to us raw, but it's been processed from the farm. And so that we call that green coffee. It has a long shelf life, 12 to 18 months. When you roast the coffee, now it has a pretty short shelf life, three to, you know, eight, 10 weeks, depending on the packaging and, and other things. Uh, so it's like bread, you know, um, it's like, yeah, having a wheat, right? 
and then you grind that weed and break a piece of loaf of bread. That's kind of what it's like from going from green to roasted coffee. And then, um, and then, um, so, so what, so when, when, when you're buying green coffee, you could buy green coffee sort of towards the end of his life, but you know, and that's when, you know, and that's when you start getting, getting deals on it. But as long as we roast it while it's still good and it's good zone. Um, and so, so it's still ethically sourced, you know, we're still taking care of our farmers and it's still quality coffee and, and at the 80 plus score. Um, so, so we've got little tricks like that and, and other ways where we could sort of, you know, make it, make the numbers make sense. So yeah, Trader Joe's, that's a big box store. They're moving it. We got Target. And, and I mean, yep. I'd like to even say, I mean, I heard usually Trader Joe's demands you to white label it and then they kind of throw their own, na- their name on it. So how did you even break that barrier of being able to still have the Red Bay Coffee logo on that? Well, that, that would have been sort of easier in some respects, right? Because, you know, then we could have just, then it would not, we wouldn't have to deal with all those other complications. But um, so, yeah, 80% of the products in Trader Joe's are branded Trader Joe's. Um, now we were the first coffee ever in Trader Joe's that was, uh, that was non Trader Joe's branded. Um, and, and, um, and then I started seeing some other of my other black, uh, coffee roaster people out there, brands showing up at Trader Joe's. So Trader Joe's made a deliberate effort to start approaching, uh, black coffee roasters and, um, and, um, you know, and and I commend them, and they never, and they really still haven't made a big deal about it. They haven't put out a press release about it, um, but but uh, but they're doing it. So you know, hats hats off to Trader Joe's for that. Yeah, yeah. But I mean, do you feel like you mentioned Target too? Like, do you feel like just having your name and brand kind of more out there is it bringing more direct business back to you? Uh, it's hard to measure, right? If somebody sees, you know, if sees your product at it, it, it target it, it definitely brings more awareness right um you know but you know but often you know uh we'll we'll get outside of the sort of immediate bay area where we really built up our name and and people may not know us and and you know as close as sacramento is right um but you know and, and there's a lot of coffee on the shelf right uh there's a lot of competition there and we're not we're not the cheapest and we're not trying to be the cheapest. Right. And you could go there and ours is like 1599 and there's a bag next to us for 699, 599. And I'm like, wow. So that's, that's, that's a very competitive landscape, but you know, that's just where you have to sort of be able to communicate your, uh, your value proposition. And, um, and, you know, so we're hit, we're hitting our numbers and, uh, and, and, and we're growing, um, and so, but it does open up other possible, it does open up other opportunities. For instance, um, I've been developing a RTD, a ready to drink coffee in a can. So that's something I'm really excited about because that all of a sudden, I don't have to worry about the shelf, short shelf life, you know, like you wouldn't expect to buy, you know, a bag of $17 whole bean, you know, beautiful coffee. It, 7-Eleven or something, right? No, that that, that no. wouldn't even connect. However, you'll get you know, a quick can. Hey, you can get a can. It's basically in the refrigerator. It's like energy drink. And yep. we're, it's the same coffee, beautiful relationships, getting it from, you know, 
David Robinson, our, our these you know beautiful family in Guatemala, and uh, and and we go through that process and 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 it's a plant based lattes. So you know, so our people who are lactose intolerant, they could they could deal with it. Um, and so you know, so we're opening up some of those uh, those opportunities, and uh, and that can obviously scale uh, much bigger. Now, I know your e-com has grown, but I did want to ask, is there still a difference in what we would get from the e-commerce, um, just buying something on your website, or, or, those are, or are those the same beans that you're using at your local locations? Yeah, same exact, same exact beans. It's came in off the same roaster. We're, you know, comes out, comes out of the roaster. Uh, we're bagging these beans up and some, you know, go fulfilling the online orders or some go to the store. Um, or some are on the shelves right there. You can just come and pick it up. So yes, exact same product. Now, now I did want to ask, like just being a co-founder with your wife, right? And going through that, what is work-life balance like firstly? And how do you guys kind of separate everything work from just weekend or whatever, whatever the weekend might look like for you? Yeah. Yeah. That, that's a, that's a great question. Uh, so my, my wife, Raquel is a brand manager. Oh, no, the, the, uh, the chief of brand, excuse me. She, she's the chief of brand here at Red Bay Coffee. So um, she grew up in, uh, in Denmark. So she's an she's a Afro-Dane. And, um, and Denmark, Danish design, um, you know, when you think about some of this, like, stylish kind of modern furniture and that whole, right? So, so that that whole sort of look is a very Danish sensibility. So she, that's second nature to her. Um, when, when I'm talking about earlier, my comment was, you know, everybody doesn't necessarily have sort of like this design, you know, team around them. You know, I'm married into that. So, so I'm married very well, you know, um, <laughs> there you go. I, I, I'll say that just off the top. Um, so she brings so much, you know, uh, and she also worked at Levi Strauss for like 18 years. Oh, wow. Before. Which is, they're, they're headquartered in San Fran, right? Levi's? Yes, that's right. That's right. Yeah. So she was recruited and that's how she came out here. She was recruited by Levi's to come out here to do that. And then, um, and, um, you know, so she was, she kept her job at, while we were at Gorilla, Gorilla Cafe, Chasing Lions Cafe. That was my spot in the city. Um, and then, um. By the time we started Red Bay together, you know, so she, you know, I'm a, I'm an artist, I'm a builder, but she kind of keeps, she keeps the focus of a brand, the story, the red thread that that is consistent through the whole thing, the subtle things that most people will never even recognize, uh, materials, finishes, you know, what 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 you're st- saying, you know. But to answer your question more directly. Uh, I just want to at least give some more context, like what 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 she brings to it, and um, uh, we and and we're both Leos, uh, but but uh, no, we we actually are are a great team. We work really well together. Um, she she has a couple small businesses on the side, so she really really works uh, like nonstop. You know, so, like so. Do you, how do you turn it off? When six o'clock six o'clock i turn it off i'm off i'm, there you I'm go. out i'm i'm out working out i'm you know i'm watching you some go. you know some youtube videos i'm in the garden <laughs> da, 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 you know and and and, nice. and she goes she goes hard but uh but yeah, it's also yeah. 
it's also not just a job. This is something that we're both really passionate about that we, that we're, we're you know, invested in deeply, obviously. So, so it, you know, so, you know, on the weekends, yeah, that's what we're talking about when we're together, you know, that's what we're talking about, but we're also talking about our children. You know, uh, we, we have things in common. We love nature. So we go on the walks in the nature. We look, you know, we garden, you know, we just built, um, we just built, uh, a, a, a greenhouse during COVID. We built a greenhouse and a, and a little outdoor gym. And just because I'm up here, I'm going to turn the camera around. And I don't know if you can see it from, from here. But Wow. No, I see it. It's, it's kind of, it's not small. <laughs> no, it's not small. It's uh, like, so that's the greenhouse on the left. Nice. And, nice. Uh, and then that's, that's my gym over there. Uh, the dojo. Oh, I see. Is right. that a punching bag? The yeah, dojo. Yeah, there you go. Yep. 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 Uh, and, you a black um, belt too or something on the weekends? Uh, I mean, you know, yes. <laughs> <laughs> yes, there you go, a little something. <laughs> you, you, you said you lived a lot of lives, so. <laughs> yeah, and, and, and they're layers. They're layers. Yes, they're layers. yes. And, you know, and that's part of that, uh, that competitive, you know, spirit that I have to be, you know, a founder, to have a company and to enter into a very crowded space. I mean, if you just, if you go to any grocery store and you look, at the selection of coffee, can you imagine entering a more competitive landscape and trying to differentiate? So, you know, like in uh, high school, I was a uh, high school. I, I was on a wrestling team in college. Uh, I wrestled for four years in Division Two. After that, you know, I was playing uh, jujitsu, Brazilian jujitsu and and judo and. Uh, and now I've been most, most recently just training and, and just boxing and kind of mixing mixed <laughs> martial arts. And I'm, I'm not, I'm, I'm just out balanced here doing life. my thing. I'm balancing my life. And that's kind of how I kind of just keep my, my body right to keep my mind right. Um, because, you know, it's easy to burn out, especially as a CEO, as a founder, you know, there's this sort of grime mentality that, that we can't stop. Don't stop. Come on, man. You, you got, you, <laughs> you, got you better to. stop. <laughs> or else, or else you'll stop in your tracks. You'll get stopped, right? You'll have a stroke. Exactly. You know, you'll have a heart attack, uh, or you'll just kind of burn out and lose the spirit and and not love, not love it. You'll, you know, you'll you'll just kind of turn, you know, be grumpy. And so I'm I'm trying to pace myself. Um, so in order to pace myself, you know, I gotta, you know, I gotta plan, and um, and and uh, and it's gonna take a lot of work, um. You know, and I know it's not all. Um, so I don't need to get all the work done in one day, you know. And and that's you got you got to build a team around you, um, where you could delegate, you know, and um, and you and you do what you could do. Um, but the hours that you're working, you gotta you know make the most of it and be 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 effective at, at what you do. Um, definitely, definitely. Yeah, but pace now, yourself, be you, well. Uh -huh. That's all important things. <laughs> yeah, critical. I, I'm. I mean, you mentioned more brick and mortar, but what is the future of Red Bay as you see it? If you could leave our, our guests with that last piece of insight. Yeah. Um, so, you know, uh, just my artist mind is gets me to uh, to innovate. So I love developing new products, right? Like some of the things we're putting in cans are you know, things that we serve at our cafe, like a, a, a oatmeal latte or something. But, you know, there's a product also that we're going to put in a can and it's a black coffee spritzer. Uh, 
And this is like, basically you could think of it as like a coffee soda, but light on the sweet, just a little bit of agave, iced coffee, sparkling. So it's without all the, without all the BS that you'll get in the soda. So, so that's a whole new category. We're doing, we're doing edible coffee, coffee that you could eat in the form of like chocolate. Okay. Okay. Right. So that's, so we're, we'll be introducing that. I'm giving you a little, you know, a little yeah, breaking yeah, yeah. news. Is that some breaking news here? I ain't even <laughs> Exclusive. <introduced that> yet. <laughs> yes. Um, so, you know, so we're, you know, I've, I've invented kind of coffee making devices. Um, so, you know, that, that's the kind of things that keeps me going. So at, at Red Bay Coffee, we'll, we're developing a brand. Uh, it's a lifestyle brand. Uh, and, it, and with that, we'll be creating different products. Uh, we'll be opening up shops, you know, earlier in, 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 in the life of Red Bay, I, I thought we would be in, in, in Brooklyn and Atlanta and Chicago and Philly and, and, um, man, that's, that's a lot to do, you know? So, so now our most, I think, you know, that, that, that COVID sort of, it was a nice little reality check and it kind of, it kind of refocused the mind. And so now our strategy on the brick and mortar is to really saturate California, Northern California, Southern California with, uh, with the retail experiences, uh, but create, create content, interesting video photography, just continuing to, to support, uh, the arts, um, as, as part of the brand sponsoring different, different art exhibits, concerts, whatever, and bringing that around. So that's how we see touching the rest of the country. Um, so we're trying to build, you know, we just can try to continue to grow, build, um, and, um, and inspire a movement, you know, since we got started in 2014, um, right now, this is February, 2022, this is our eighth year anniversary month. Um, man, there have been many black owned coffee companies have started and, um, mm, mm. and this is what I've been instigating for. So, yes, you know, and, yes. and, and, and I consult with them, right. If y'all need nice. some game, you know, nice. call me, you know? Um, and, uh, so it's, I, I don't see it as a competitive piece as much as, as it is a movement and, there's so much coffee being consumed. It, it's enough out here for all of us. There's enough for everyone to get. Yeah. It. <laughs> and uh, I'll just close with this. Um, you know, when I think about, you know, why we even exist, Red Bay Coffee exists, is to bring beautiful coffee to the people. And when, when I'm talking about beautiful coffee, I'm talking about what Jackie Rob, uh, what David Robinson is doing in Tanzania. Right. Um, and what what we're doing here in in Oakland, and just these relationships, and and also that beautiful latte art, and that that uh, that black charcoal vanilla latte that we make, or that candy yam latte that we make, right? So it, it, there's beauty in in the whole value stream of of everything that we do, and we're just trying to bring that and make it more accessible uh, to our folks, you know, who haven't always been tapped into the specialty coffee movement. Um, so we trying to reclaim coffee. Uh, like I said, you know, coffee is Africa's gift to the world. If, if you identify as part of the African diaspora, you know, um, I encourage you to, to, to claim your inheritance. Nice. There you go. 
But no, okay, but you you've dropped a lot of gifts and gems throughout this episode. So thank you very much for that. I'm definitely gonna come out to Red Bay Coffee next time I'm in the Bay. But yes. until then, I think everyone needs to know redbaycoffee.com. You can order this right now and um yeah. see see what it's like for yourself. Appreciate you, Blue. Appreciate you, man. Great questions. Appreciate great you. Interview. Appreciate you, Tom. And right. uh, much success to you. All right. Thank you very much. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this episode of Blue Dope and you'd like to help support the podcast, please share it with others, post about it on social media, or leave a rating and review. To catch all the latest, you can follow the crew on Instagram at Blue Dope TV.